As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, I'm I'm back doing the intro this week. I just I just realized that that we've reverted to our normal roles. How do you feel about it? I feel good as I maintained last Natural. week. As I maintained last week, you are the host of this show, and you know you you drive this thing forward. I'm just I'm just holding on to the the bumper <laughs> on a skateboard. You know, the bumper on a skateboard. That sounds painful. Um, I wouldn't want to be in that position. I'm excited for today's show. We got some good kind of allocation disorder topics. I might yell a little bit. Not really sure. Like We're going to see where spicy. it goes. I feel like it's going to get spicy. That's what it feels like. Yes. Um, this first topic might not be the spiciest, though. I don't know. Maybe it will be. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, DC United made the big, big move of this week in Major League Soccer. They hired Wayne Rooney. He's back. Uh, after a few years away, he, of course, played for the club in 2018 and 2019, then bailed one and a half years into a three-year contract. He has been hired as head coach following the club's 7-0 disastrous MLS worst or tied for MLS worst defeat at Philadelphia last Friday. He was appointed earlier in the week. News bo- broken by our colleague and buddy Pablo Maurer, who has written a couple of good articles about the subject already uh paul this wasn't a complete shock it wasn't totally out of the blue rooney obviously has connections with dc as mentioned good relationship with club ownership there sort of rumored as a candidate but i think you know when i saw the news i was a little bit surprised that he's not staying in england um what do you make of the move from his perspective and more importantly what do you make of it from a dc united standpoint yeah, I mean, I'm a bit surprised as well, just because I feel like we've seen um, people like Wayne Rooney. I guess the be- best way to put it is former players of a high-profile nature when they're successful in the championship, um, getting a job, a bigger job after that. And, you know, a lot of people praised Wayne Rooney for what he did at Derby last season to, to keep them in the hunt despite all of the issues that they were having, the points reductions and all of that. Um, and so I kind of expected him to get another job. I thought I saw his name floated when Everton had a job opening that didn't end up happening. Um, I'm not totally surprised though, that he's back at DC. You know, I think that they did a good job of maintaining that relationship, the owners and, and 
I, you know, I think Rooney enjoyed his time with DC United as a player. Um, I think there's something to be said for being out of Europe when you're a, a, a person with the profile of Wayne Rooney. Um, he's such a high profile person with the tabloids and everything going on with the Wagatha Christie trial and everything like that with his wife, Colleen Rooney. No, I think there's a little bit of that to factor in here as well. You know, I'm interested to see, you know, what Rooney can make out of this. Like, is he the manager that we saw last season when he did well to keep the group together despite everything going on around them? The year before that, when he first took over, the results weren't great. So, like, it, you know, what are we going to get? I think we're still learning who Rooney is as a manager. And, you know, I think he is – I think he knows that about himself too. And, he, and he's seen – some of the managers who have come in and been able to develop themselves have a little bit more um, ownership support to go to work through your problems, depending on where you are. And he, he probably feels that he'll have that with DC and maybe wouldn't have that with other jobs that are, that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, he mentioned that basically to a degree that this is sort of a developmental job for him. He turned down Everton, the chance to pursue that opportunity that ended up going to Frank Lampard. And, Part of the reason he's taking this job is because he feels like he needs more seasoning before he gets to that level, right? He's using MLS as a developmental league like like many players are and do. Um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that from his perspective or from DC's perspective. Um, but I think it's fair to wonder what kind of coach he's going to be. You know, you mentioned kind of the narrative around him. It's, it's largely positive. Um, despite the struggles that they had at Derby because of the off the field issues going into administration. They had a 21 point deduction because of that last year, which pretty much doomed them right off of the bat. Having said that, you know, they finished with 34 points on the season after that 21 point deduction. So they would have had 53 had their record just been allowed to stand. That would have been 18th in the league. So it's not like they were necessarily setting the world on fire. I believe that's with a, a kind of mid-table wage bill, at least at the start of the season anyway, as well. So yeah, he had to navigate some difficult circumstances. I'm curious what this means for DC United. Paul, we've talked about DC United on this show before. I have, you know, gotten fired up about DC United on this show before. Um, and, you know, Dave Casper, the GM, he, he gave some quotes kind of basically saying, that they need to go out and sign some players and that maybe that they don't have enough pieces when, you know, just a few months ago when they were firing Hernan Losada, they said that they thought this was a playoff caliber team. And <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what changed? Um, you know, they don't not spend money. I think they're 17th or something in the payroll rankings that were released by the, the MLSPA earlier in the year. You know, Edison Flores, obviously, was a player that cost a lot of money before he got shipped out earlier just a few weeks ago. Um, Rooney is costing a decent amount of money for a head coach, a lot more than they've ever paid for one in the past. So it's not like they don't spend, but there just hasn't been, I think I would say the level of follow through either on the roster or, you know, with the stadium, although that sounds like it'll be changing. They're going to be building a roof, <laughs> uh, which is good at Audi fields um, or, or covered, covering the seats, finishing covering the seats, finishing roof. Yeah. But that's the point, right? There hasn't been the level of follow through. And now they're saying, okay, well, Rooney's here. We're going to go out and we're going to sign some players. They've been linked to Jesse Lingard already here today as we record on Thursday, but it's like, okay, are you going to actually follow through? Is this the time that DC United doesn't just do the one thing, the sign Wayne Rooney, the sign Flores, 
but they actually follow through and try and build something a little bit more sustainable? Maybe, but I'm still skeptical. I'm, I'm not going to believe that one until I see it. Well, that's the thing. There has to be a prove it point. And like sometimes that one shiny thing can be exciting. Like when they signed Rooney and they already had Lucho Acosta and those two worked together really well and that was exciting for a while. Had some really cool results and everyone's going to remember that moment with Rooney um, where he raced back against Orlando City and made the tackle and played that long diagonal and Acosta scored and the crowd went crazy. And that's the closest we've been to what DC United was, as, as I said a few episodes ago when Pablo Maurer was on. And, and, but it does feel like that's kind of a pattern for DC is like make one big signing point to it to say, look, we do have ambition, but don't never really out the rest. Um, and never really feel like it, there was anything building towards something sustainable or creating a culture. Like, uh, again, it kind of goes back to that thing of like, who are you? Who do you want to be as a club? I think that does matter. Um, I think the best clubs in MLS have that. You know, we know, they have the clear idea. Yeah, we know who the yeah. centers are. The Timbers ha- have their identity for sure. Um, LAFC under Bob Bradley, we knew exactly who that team was, and we're, we're finding out who they are now um, yeah. under Trundolo. I mean, the, you, you can start to see kind of what the ideas are behind it, and I think that's what DC United's lacked. And I think also what's kind of the thing I'll say about Rooney that kind of makes me excited is, you know, when you talk to people about Wayne Rooney, when you read about him, you know, his his understanding of the game is is very high level and his his feel for talent and i think that he'll have that same motivation that same idea like we need to decide who we want to be sign players that fit that instead of just looking for a name um i hope so at least i i think i actually think wayne rooney can be a good hire for for dc united now the the downside of hires like this um is that if it works out, he won't be there for long. Yeah, but that's okay, man. I it think, is, like, honestly, is. yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, we've seen it before, right? I think NYCFC is probably the best example. Like, when you when you have a, a manager who's successful, they're going to move on. And then but yeah. if you can create we've that... We've seen it I, with Tata Martino in Atlanta as well. well that's the thing. It hasn't worked if so you well. create the yeah. identity, then the next manager should be able to come in and build on that. And I think what happened was Atlanta, when Tata left, they had this identity. A lot of it was built around Tata. And instead of embracing that, they tried to get away from it. Like immediately, they they didn't want it to be yeah. about Tata anymore. And they, well, it wasn't a club identity; it was a coach identity, and right. that, it needs to be bigger than any one individual. Well, they wanted to be a coach identity. You know, they didn't want they wanted it to be oh, we're Atlanta United. You know, we didn't need Tata, and and like that backfired pretty big. So well, they could have just they could have co opted his identity and made it the club's identity. Right. You know, it was there for them to do so. Right. They decided not to. Right. Yeah. So I mean, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves to the post Rooney era. I think you know I think Wayne Rooney <laughs> can be good for DC United. I do think he's a name that will continue to resonate in the DC market because people remember him from his time there and they remember good things about him. They certainly know him as a star, and you know. DC needs all the help they can get in that sense. They need people that make it interesting to watch DC United. Yeah, I think it is interesting too. Pablo pointed this out in one of his pieces that he's written that that Rooney was, he pushed when he was a player at DC United for, for the club to go out and spend a little bit more and be a little bit more ambitious. I would assume that will only occur more in his role as manager. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to see if they go out and they and they do try and spend more and they do try and level up and they do try and make this a sustainable thing. But I want to see that follow through with DC. Paul, one other thing on this hire that I think is, you know, 
it's delicate, but it's really important, is his family situation. And he was asked about this in the press conference, and he addressed it. Um, but, you know, we learned in that Wagatha Christie trial, and it had been reported previously, but we, we got it on the record in the court documents, that part of the reason, a big part of the reason he left DC United early was because his wife and, his, and their four kids were not having a good time in the U.S. at all. They are not coming to the U.S. to live. They're going to stay in England. I think their oldest is high school age, and, and he's involved in playing soccer over there. So they, they don't want to disrupt their life. And more power to them, of course. That's a totally fine choice for them to make. But that is going to be a difficult thing. Um, so I'm curious to see. You know, we've seen it happen before where Rooney left East United in part for family reasons. So we'll see if that if that plays a role this time around. It's, it's going to be hard, I think. Um, he said... You know, from a family point of view, they understand and it's not a problem. Um, but it is going to be difficult, I would assume, for them. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's a, it's a different thing that a, a celebrity faces that has a, a different type of budget. As a parent, like going on two week trips for work away from your kids is hard. Um, living on a different continent than them will be difficult on both sides. Um, and, you know, and he's not, you know, he's doing what he did last time. He's not living in D.C. He's living out in the burbs. This time he's moving all the way out to Loudoun County. Not a lot of action. Um, you know. Very, Although apparently he's talking about rooming with some players. So. Be an interesting dynamic. Um, I mean, which, which player you think on D.C. United would be a best, best roommate for Wayne Rooney? Most entertaining roommate. If well, we're going to do real world D.C.U. It's, it's Bill Hamid. There's no question. <laughs> it's like that's like a no-brainer i'm glad you went there yeah yeah it is a no-brainer <laughs> <laughs> i mean that would i would watch that show on on mtv let's wayne, make it happen wayne Ernie, bill hamid steve Burnbaum, and pablo mauer living in a house in loudon county yeah there you go waza and the boys <laughs> just see what happens <laughs> i mean yeah get pablo in there too yeah you got to throw automatic fireworks Just, and he'll fix their cars. It'll be great. It'll be um, ultimately, how do you think this works out? You know, I think that they will steady the ship this year. Um, maybe finish second to last instead of in last. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, they're just Don't not go very, too crazy. They're not very good. There's not a lot of time left to really make changes. I guess they could, if they two DPs, maybe change more dramatically than that. But if they don't make big changes and they, they take a longer approach, I think it'll take a bit more time. But I think they'll be competitive next year. I, I do have faith in Rooney's ability to find good players, see good players, um, solicit advice in the right places, and, um, and mo most importantly, convince ownership to spend, um, spend more and, and, and hopefully spend the right way. So I think it's going to work well. Okay. I think that last part is the most important part of his job. Yeah. As of right now, I don't think we've seen any evidence – that Wayne Rooney is in kind of that top 10% of coaches that make a huge difference, nor is he in the bottom 10% of coaches that make a huge difference the other way. I am of the belief that there's those two extremes and the middle 80% of coaches somewhat interchangeable and mostly dictated by the players around them. So if Wayne Rooney can kind of set a better recruitment plan and get better players into DC United and get ownership to spend a little bit more money, and hopefully bring along some of the younger players, some of the academy guys that they have coming up, um, which is something that he did at Derby. 
um, then I think, yeah, this, this could be a successful project. I don't foresee them, you know, winning MLS cup next year or the year after that. Um, but potentially a step in the right direction for DC, um, which geez, I mean, we call them one of MLS's flagship clubs, but it's been 15 years now since they've been successful. So, you know, that's sort of like calling the fire one of MLS's flagship flagship clubs. It's uh, those days are long in the past. So we'll see if he can recapture some of that old magic. Paul, anything else on on your hometown team? Sorry, not your hometown. Orlando's your hometown. I agree with what you said, you know, and I talked about it, you know, I'll go back to what I said with Pablo. It's sad that DC United isn't what it was and hasn't embraced that history, but they have a chance now to, to kind of change course. And, and hopefully while they're, you know, reinventing themselves under Wayne Rooney, realize maybe embracing a bit more of the past would, would do well uh, to help them as well. Paul, you know, it's not sad. GM's fighting with each other in public. More <laughs> on that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. And Paul, I was sort of surprised when we were doing our pre-show kind of rundown and you wanted to lead with Wayne Rooney instead of this, because this thing is in our wheelhouse, man. And I am, of course, speaking of the war of words, the GM wars between Ernst Tanner, John Thorrington about the Gareth Bale signing and insinuations, implications, drama of you know, let's just call it what Ernst Tanner said of, of cheating. You gotta, you gotta make people listen to the first segment to get to the good stuff. You know, if you give them the good stuff early on, then they just got to eat your vegetables before you get the ice cream. That's right. That's right, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Uh, yeah, this is a bit juicy and you know what though? It's like what everyone else says behind the scenes he just said it on the record and like there's nothing that stays like in in like another country anymore like people don't realize that in today's world you might be doing global yeah you might be doing an interview in german to like whatever outlet kicker which doesn't even have a website that thing will still end up on twitter it will still end up on twitter and this is great evidence of that and, and it did um, so to give a little bit of background for those of you that have not followed this story, uh, Gareth Bale, of course, signed with LAFC. I believe that was in July. It was in July, right? Yep. Um, may- maybe June, whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, he signed on a targeted allocation money contract. This came as a surprise to many people because Bale was being paid $35 million reportedly last season by Real Madrid. TAM contract caps out around $1.7 million when you include the first half of next year and the second half 
of this year, which is what his deal is for. That's a pretty significant drop from 35 mil. Um, Ernst Tanner, but words to this. He told German outlet kicker, according to Manuel Veth, who I believe works for Transfer Market, if I'm remembering correctly, he put this on Twitter. Said, Tanner said, I feel fooled, especially as they were signed, they being Bale and Chiellini, who he brought into this, as they were signed as TAM players in the middle of the season who can only make $1.6 million. That takes some believing. Innocent until proven guilty, of course, but Bale made 35, he actually said 38 million before tax playing for Real Madrid and could have earned many times more in England than his official salary here. Why is he giving up so much? I don't think the market in Europe is that damaged. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, but before we do that, let me get to John Thorrington's response. <laughs> and he had one. He gave he gave some comments to ESPN and the Voices of the Black and Gold podcast um, that was released earlier this week. He said, our integrity and how we operate as a club, we take that incredibly seriously. I personally take that incredibly seriously. Larry Friedman, as our co-president, takes that incredibly seriously. Our CFO, our owners, we take that, you guessed it incredibly seriously so any court sort of implication that we're doing anything other than what is fully above board is a completely misguided representation and is frankly insulting and it's disrespectful frankly to the player to the club and to the league actually because what you're basically saying to the league office is that you have a club that totally duped you tanner for his part said to ESPN that several parts of the various quotes were not in response to the question that is printed and was not represented in the manner I intended. I said in the interview and will reiterate again that I believe everything was done in compliance. All right, Ernst trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube on that one, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he really truly believes that everything was done in compliance. We can take him at his word. I would expect that he might be getting a nice little fine from MLS HQ for his comments. Um, a league spokesperson has told ESPN as well that everything was done above board. But of course, Paul, they thought everything was done above board with Inter-Miami in 2020 as well. And the point here is that if you want to hide something, you can, regardless of whether or not LAFC did so or not. If you want to, you can. And there are so many rules and so many different hoops that you that you have to kind of jump over that there are a lot of places to hide or a lot of incentive to hide things. I'm not saying that that's what LAFC is doing here, but I'm also not saying that to be suspicious of this or any deal in MLS is out of bounds. What do you think, man? I will say this. The league can say what they want. All the league knows is that the contract that was filed with them complies with the rules. Right. My, Miami made that very, yep. Just like very, the one with Matuidi. very clear, right? Yeah. And that here's the reality. We know this from what happened with Miami, but we also know this from doing our GM survey a little bit down the road after that Miami thing. There are payments off the books from every single team in MLS to varying degrees. Now, whether you want to say that one team cheats less than the other, so it's not as bad, it's not as egregious, you know, they're all breaking the rules. And there's no chance that MLS, the MLS headquarters can, can police it. Why? They don't have enough staff. They're already stretched thin as it, as, as it is in the player department, being asked to do more than, than they can. There's no chance that they can... These are billionaire owners now in this league who have multiple businesses, yeah. in some cases multiple clubs. There's no way that they can know what those businesses and those clubs are doing. They don't have any right to know. And they don't have the resources to do it. They, they can't go and hire the, the top forensic accounting firms and, and then also get the owners to agree to open their books to their other private businesses or yeah. their own personal accounts. And, and, and by the way, 
all you got to do, even if you did open your books to your own private businesses and examined every little marketing deal that that every little company or every little shell or every little LLC has with different individuals, you could still just wait if you're an MLS team and a player, and then it'd be fine. Let's go back to Zlatan. This is kind of an example that gets pointed out. And and Paul, you said, you know, off the top of this conversation that Ernst Tanner is just saying this on the record. Um, and I'm writing a story on this, and, and that's actually the first line. It's not rare for MLS executives to, to trash talk in this way. It's just rare for them to say it in any way that's that's anything but off the record. Um, and you know, everyone that you talk to on this always points to Zlatan. And the $1.5 million deal that he signed initially on a TAM contract his first year, that went up a big, big amount. Um, I think it was to $7 million on a DP deal, a separate DP deal in year, year two. And he announced to Zlatan that he was leaving the LA Galaxy on November 13th, 2019. On November 27th, 2019, two weeks to the day after he announced he was leaving the club, it was announced that he had purchased a 50% stake in AEG Sweden. AEG, of course, is the owner of the LA Galaxy. We have no idea how much money Zlatan purchased AEG Sweden for. It could have been for the full market valuation. It could have been for a dollar. We have no idea and we will never have any idea. But that is just one way that an MLS team could make up for a discount sweetheart deal on the front end with some additional compensation on the back. And if you did it like that and there was no written agreement, it was just, hey, kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation, that wouldn't even be against league rules, I don't think. In, in and fact, so there are a million ways to skirt these things. Sam, I will say, like, when all that stuff was going on with Zlatan and we were doing our reporting around Miami, there were league sources that were saying to, again, not on the record, but on background, saying things like, well, if he did sign an agreement to purchase 50% of AEG Sweden when he was a DP, then it's not breaking any MLS rules. So it's like almost encouraging teams that if you're going to do a retroactive deal to make up for it, just make sure that that person's a DP and it all falls under the rules, right? And, yep. and the reality yep. is... Like Gareth Bale is going to be opened up to more opportunities in the LA market, and those owner owners of LAFC do have businesses that could be interested in Gareth Bale as a spokesperson or whatever it might be, some sort of deal. And that's the reality. And the question is, where do those rules extend to? And and that gets yeah. me to my next point, Sam, which is, you know, is this a a problem that that MLS faces in terms of enforcement? Or is this indicative of a, a rule problem? And I fall very, very distinctly in the second group. These rules don't work for this league as it exists today with these owners, with the, with the league's place in the international market, with the aspirations of the league, with the cost of expansion, with all of these different things. There are all of these buckets that essentially create opportunity to cheat based on arbitrary numbers and outlines designed by the product strategy committee in whatever past years, varying degrees, depending on which rule we're, we're talking about here. But these rules are being broken left and right all over the league, whether it's academy recruitment, whether it's discovery rules, whether mm -hmm. it is paying agent fees in, in different ways and consulting fees, and you're, you're cutting 150 thousand dollar check here and there off the books whether it's using your mls next pro team to to get around salary rules or to get around or your discovery usl team. rules or your yeah. usl team 
and and all of this is being done because it's a, a blaring message to the league. Everyone wants to move beyond these restrictions. Get rid of all of these buckets. Get rid of all these rules. Simplify it. Rules are still going to exist. And Sam, you say this all the time. There, whenever there's a rule, there's going to be somebody trying to break that rule or get as close yeah. to that line as possible. But that doesn't mean that you can't find ways to simplify and and make it so that there's not so many different places based on, again, yeah. arbitrary things that don't help the league. They really don't help the league other yeah. than yeah. help league headquarters control or have some semblance of control over who the team sign. And and I we get into all of these scenarios and we're, we have these discussions and they're pointless. Like if if – if you it, like, honestly, like, is it a bad thing? What did you me? just, what did you just say about our lives? Yeah, it is though. Like, is it a bad thing for major league this soccer that LAFC signed Bale and Chiellini? Is that a bad thing from us? No, it's a bad thing if it didn't happen because they had to fit these guys under $1.6 million because that's the bucket that, that Tam was created under in 2015 or updated in 2017 or whatever. Like, and we're, we're, you know, I'm working on a story about another rule that just needs to go away essentially or needs to be created to incentivize people, good players to stay in MLS. Like this yeah. league has grown and that is great. The rule book has not grown sufficiently to keep up with that maturation in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. So a couple of things here before I dive into anything that you just said, I want to say that I think some of this is a feeling that is relatively common, particularly among the less glamorous and lower budget teams in Major League Soccer, that they think that they the big teams get unfair treatment, that it's not an equal playing field. And I think some of that, frankly, is a little bit of sour grapes. I also do want to say, in the interest of fairness, um, we're not making any allegations here regarding the bail thing. And I think it's within the realm of possibility that he could have gone to Los Angeles on this deal and everything's above board. Like he likes LA. We know he loves golf. A lot of golf courses out there. The MLS calendar is well situated for him to kind of be in good form for the World Cup in November with Wales. Um, it's an attractive team in terms of how they play, in terms of where they are in the standings. It's a great stadium, good place to play, good fans to play in front of. There are a lot of reasons why Bale would want to go to Los Angeles. And that's even before accounting for the fact that he's already made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. He doesn't really need money. Like that might not be a motivator for him at this point. So putting that to the side, uh, you know, that that's that's where the small market, big market thing comes in. And and some of this is the the teams in LA or the teams in New York or wherever have a little bit of a natural advantage over the teams like Philadelphia that aren't kind of as stereotypically attractive for a foreign player to come to. So that's part of it. Um, but the other part is regarding the rules, like you just kind of laid out there. You know, part of me is a little hesitant because wherever the, like you said, wherever the rules are set, people are going to be trying to push it no matter where they're at. The problem is there are so many different places to push it in the current system. There are all these different lines all over the place. MLS can't enforce it. They don't have the ability to. And, and frankly, Paul, they shouldn't be spending their time or energy or money on enforcing these things. They should have other priorities. You know, there are bigger fish to fry for the league. And so why are you creating all of these buckets? It just, I'm so sick of talking about this, man. 
like I love talking about it, but I'm so sick of talking about it because the answers are clear. You can maintain a level of competitive balance if you just switch to a floor and a ceiling. You know, there will still be parity. You have single elimination playoffs, but you don't need to do it this way. It's inefficient. There are these potential for for bad actors and for cheating, and that creates all these enforcement problems, and that creates opportunity costs with other things that the league could be doing instead. And it's just so nonsensical. It's so backwards, and, and they just—it's not changing, and it doesn't make any sense anymore. And, and I don't know how many times we have to scream and yell about it on this show or in print. Um, I mean, I guess probably a lot more because I don't think it'll change anytime soon, really. But think, it's frustrating, man. It's frustrating. I, I think you nailed it. You have a rule book. You're incapable of, refor- of enforcing. Um, you're you're discussing whether or not to put resources into trying to enhance enforcement. When those resources could very clearly be used in other and better ways to study the league, grow the league, improve the league. And by the way, one of those ways to improve the league is to change the rule book. The league would get better. Yeah. It would get better. The level and of you play, wouldn't have to spend any more money. The level you of play would spend get better. Any more money. And it's yeah. more efficient and you have a lot of money already being spent by these owners. And I think more and more and more these owners are going to start saying – who are you to say I can't do X or Y or Z with my money when I've spent half a billion dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars investing in this league? And that's the reality. You've, you've charged these enormous expansion fees and you're putting on limitations, again, based on these arbitrary rules that were dreamed up in the product strategy committee. And they don't maximize the potential of this league anymore. Yeah. Um, Paul, there are some fun elements to this story. (laughs) It's not all doom and gloom. And one of that is kind of the back and forth here. It's been entertaining. And we sort of got at this a little bit in the survey that we did and and some of the feedback we got there from people that we surveyed even was, I can't believe you guys got all these people to say all this crap. (laughs) And and, and it's like, well, you should believe it because this is what these people talk about all the time, you know, including you person who I'm speaking to on the phone right now, you know? Um, so I think it's, it's certainly good content. Are you an F1 guy? I watched the Netflix show. Okay. So you'll probably understand where I'm going with this. I am not an F1 person and I've never seen the Netflix show, but I was talking to our buddy, Bobby Warshaw, and we were kind of texting on a group chat about this story yesterday. And he's like, more MLS GMs need to go after each other in public. Like how the F1, what do they call them? Team directors? Yeah. Um, like how the F1 team directors do. So I'm all for that. I, I would I would appreciate some more kind of public uh, shenanigans yeah. in, this, in this way. I mean, this is the stuff that we talk about, like what grows a sport is creating and talking about these types of things. It's stories. You know, it's, it's drama. It's drama. It's stories. It's personalities, right? Yeah. Like like Toto, yeah. the, the team director of Mercedes going at the Red Bull team director and vice versa, right? They, like they are known yeah. as well as the racers from that Netflix show. And I think, you know, yeah, I think it's good. Now, it's important that the, they get discussed at like the higher levels and people get to know these personalities and these people and, and beyond just news bites, right? Like they, they know their, who they're married to. Sure. They know, you know, their personalities and that all contributes. That's why that Netflix show has been so successful for F1 is you feel like you know where these people are from and what they're going through and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, man. I mean, it's never a bad thing when stuff like this happens. Like, I mean, I remember when I, I was... I mean, because 
because there are rivalries behind the scenes with these guys. Yeah. Some of these dudes do not like each other and like, they're pretty pub like open about it in private. Like they know that the other guy doesn't like them. The other guy knows that they, that vice versa. So, you know, just come out, get a little snipey with but it. What happened when they what come out and say lose? stuff? Like I remember like being in Orlando when Adrian Heath went on his radio show and talked about Dom Dwyer. And then Peter Vermees got mad at Adrian Heath for talking about Dom Dwyer and then MLS find Adrian Heath and then Adrian Heath wouldn't yeah. touch it with the 10 foot pole for the rest of the season. And I was like, you know what? That stinks that he, that he won't just take the fine, but like it was great <laughs> while it lasted. You know, it was great. Hey, that's his pocket though. And you know what? Full disclosure here. I called Ernst. I, I contacted Ernst Tanner this morning to see if he wanted to talk further about his comments. He declined to comment. I don't know why he declined to comment, but you know, I don't think it's uh crazy to think that he think he might be getting fined and that opening his mouth further on the subject would only increase that. Hey man, if he hasn't been fined yet, get it all in. Maybe MLS, maybe instead of fining, they should give bonuses for stuff like this. Just flip it. You know, if they see interactions interactions on Twitter going up, if there's enough buzz on stories in the media, you get a little, it's like the PGA tour throwing those media bonuses out there. We'll get we'll get bonuses to coaches and GMs who create like off field drama. Is that a thing that's drama. happening in the PGA Tour? Yeah, the mo- more social media interactions you get by the end of the season, like the winner of that gets a big bonus. Wow! Let's see if you can They're guess paid to who, tweet. who got the highest bonus of social media interactions or or buzz. Who do you think it was? Uh, man, David Duvall. <laughs> David Duvall. Only one person that could ever win that award. For Tiger Woods. He, yes, it's Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, even though he yeah. didn't play barely Shocker. at all last year. Um, anyways, yeah, I mean, look, this is good for the league. It's it's interesting. It is dramatic. It is funny. It is... Um, it is... It's real. Yeah. It's real. People stop being polite and they start getting real. We're ending every segment of this show with real world talk. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, that's the end of the segment. Stay with us. <laughs> Coming back, we're talking LA Galaxy. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Paul, I was watching MLS last night and I'm sitting in front of my TV. It's like 11 p.m. on a Wednesday here on the East Coast and I'm getting upset. Do you know why I was getting upset? The hammock you ordered hasn't arrived yet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but but besides that, um, no, I was getting upset because the LA Galaxy were getting their butts kicked at home to the San Jose earthquakes. And you would say, Sam, why do you care? You're not an LA galaxy fan. Well, true. That's correct. Um, But we talked about DC United as a, as a club of yesteryear that has fallen on hard times, but look at the LA galaxy, man. Like it, it, 
And to be fair to them, they mounted a good fight in the second half, and they only ended up losing three to two at home to the San Jose Earthquakes, and they very easily could have ended up tying or maybe even winning that game. But you look at this team, you look at this roster, you look at missing the playoffs in four out of the last five seasons, you look at where they are in the standings now where they're going to be in a dogfight, it looks like, to make them this season. You look at how much money they spend on their roster year after year after year after year, and you look at the top of the organization. And, and can you explain it to me? Chris Klein has been there for this entire bad run. Jovan Karofsky, the technical director, been there for this entire bad run. The coaches have switched. Dennis Teclosa, he's come in and out. But those two are the constants. Can you explain like how? I, I don't, because I don't get it. I mean, I think there's a simple explanation. The Galaxy had one of their worst seasons in their history, and Chris Klein got a contract extension. A five-year contract extension. So what does that say to you? To me, it says that... That they, that, they, that they don't care at all. That ownership doesn't care at all. Certainly that they don't tie Chris Klein to the results in any way. But it's not just on the field, Paul. Let's not, let's not get it twisted, man. Like, over the last, what, four and a half seasons, they have completely ceded that market to LAFC. LAFC is a sexier team. They are a better attended team. They have a better stadium. They have a better atmosphere. They are, quote unquote, cooler. They are signing the bigger stars now as well. <laughs> um, I, would, I would hazard a guess that they probably do better commercially than the Galaxy, although I could be wrong about that, to be fair. I don't know. Um, they've completely seeded the market too. So it's not just that they're struggling on the field. It's that off the field, they, they, they lost LA. And I don't see them really getting it back unless LAFC takes a nosedive. So I, I just, this was a very proud organization. The Bruce Arena and David Beckham years, obviously super duper successful. Robbie Keane, they won what? Three out of four championships between 11 and 14. Um, they were a great team. Great organization, the flagship club in MLS. Bruce left, and since then, they haven't had a clear direction. Um, the thing about the Galaxy for me, Paul, is that I don't even know who's in charge half of the time. Ostensibly, it's Klein at the top. He is the president, so the buck stops with him. But over the years, right, Kurt Anolfo was hired, and Peter Vajenas was promoted to GM. Anolfo was the coach. They were going to go with the youth movement. They gave that like half a season, and then they fired those two. Hired Ziggy Schmid. He, they, they reverted. They, they gave up on the youth movement and went back to the big stars. That didn't work too well. He got fired. They brought in Guillermo Barros-Scaloto. They brought in Dennis Teclosa, if I'm remembering correctly. Dennis DeClosa did not hire Guillermo Barros-Scaloto. <laughs> I think, I think that those two hirings were separate. Um, that didn't work out. Uh, now you have Greg Vanny in charge. He's obviously had a ton of success in MLS with Toronto FC, but DeClosa leaves. Karofsky is sort of elevated into GM, maybe, but maybe it's Vanny. We don't really know who's making the signings ever there. And, and the whole thing is muddled and obfuscated and bad. They're not a good team. And they spend more money than basically everyone else in MLS. And it's become consistent at this point. And I, I just don't get it. I don't get why these guys don't catch more heat. Well, we know that we know that this has been, a, as you just laid out, a problem across many, many years, across many different leaders. And one of the things that, and we've written this story, I think, three times now over the course yeah. of these, these years, Sam. I wrote one, then you wrote one, then I wrote one, and I think now you're 
I guess it's my turn. Or, yeah, it's your turn to write again. But like, or I just wrote the Vanny one, you know, recently about kind of what he's yeah, trying I'm gonna to do. I'm going to pull there. that up, by the way. And yeah. and I, I think that, you know, when you look at one thing that stands out to me is when you look at the, the DP signings here, there's clearly not a vision for how they want to build this team. And I remember going back when Ziggy Schmidt first came in, um, they, they signed Zlatan. Zlatan's a great player. You pretty much have to sign him if you can sign him, especially the fact that he scored came on 52 a, goals in yeah. 56 regular season games, I think. But, but that right. was done without basically consulting Ziggy, right? And like, again, to be fair, I'm not really consulting a coach if I can sign Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But, and, and even if you do, he's probably going to say, yeah. And if he says no, you say, all right, too bad, buddy. Right. But the problem like, was they had, he had just signed another forward, Ola Kamara. You know, so like, you have to be on the same page so that you don't sign two of the same type of players so that you use the money you spend on Ola Kamara somewhere else, you know? And that type of signing is indicative to me of, of real problems in the process and the fact that there are multiple people making significant decisions at the same time. That has been the problem at the Galaxy. No one knows who's in charge, and I don't think it's just us externally. I think there have been real issues internally with who is in charge, who's making the decisions, and who's overruling whom and when. Because the reality is that it's not just Dennis DeClosa that was making decisions when that roster was being built. And that's that's just the reality based on yeah. my reporting, and I think your reporting as well. And mm-hmm. you know, part of why people got optimistic of Greg Vanny coming in is they believed that Vanny would be able to create some structure. And when I spoke with Vanny, he spoke about that. He said that being a Gal- They didn't have a video room. They didn't have a video room, Paul. Yeah. And he, I mean, he said, but even little things like he was saying, like he came in and he, as an outsider looking in, he felt like every year they were just signing stars, signing guys, trying to put a roster together for that year. And, and then when they didn't make the playoffs, then the next offseason they go in and do it again and try to make it work, make these pieces work. And there was never really any vision of who are we? Who do we want to be? How are we building for the future? And that's yeah. what happens when you have multiple people making decisions, multiple but people Paul, Paul, coming in, being empowered, but really not. It's 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 difficult. Has has that changed, though? When I, you look at this roster now, do you think that's changed? Well, that's that, again, goes to me. I, I look at DP signings with the Galaxy always because Douglas Costa, the moment that signing happened – I mean, I had somebody that was saying to me, oh, this should, this should be probably like a Pato-like deal with Orlando. Like, he comes on like 180000 and, you know, kind of proves himself again. And he was a DP. And immediately, Michele Giannone and others were like, this is a terrible signing as a DP. I can't, I don't understand mm-hmm. what the Galaxy were doing. And, and it's been bad. It's been exactly yeah. what people thought so, it was going to be. Now, in the interest of fairness, Douglas Costa was dealing with some injury issues all of last year. He didn't quite look right. He says he's healthier now. Watching that game last night between them and San Jose, he came on in the second half, and he actually looked really good. By far the best he's looked for the Galaxy in a game that I've seen him. So maybe he can turn it around, but I think your broader point still exists here. Yeah, it's just how are these decisions being made? And again, who is making the decisions? Like, Is everyone on board with all of these decisions is there a streamlined um, chain of command? Is are, is somebody empowered to think about the long term? And I, I, again, I keep going back to this interview with Vanny. It, to me, in that conversation, it felt like that was kind of the, the theme. Like we are going to create something that is sustainable. That is sustainable and it, it is who the galaxy is. We talked about this in the first segment. 
You have to have some sort of cultural identity. This is who we are. That's what Bruce Arena is so good at. Like if you talk about Bruce Arena as a as a general manager, sporting director in Major League Soccer, you know, he's always been a coach and sporting director. We know what he does with his teams. He finds guys who are very good at what they do and he knows how to piece them together. He doesn't ask any more of them. He he relies on MLS veterans to fill certain roles and he's got clearly a pretty good eye at signing DPs to to elevate those MLS players. You know, you look at New England and what he did in LA, you know, Robbie Keane, one of the best DPs of all time. And then, you know, Carlos Hill, he didn't sign, but he's he's certainly, uh, I think, maximized. Gustavo Bo, Adam Bo, Buxa, Adam he Buxa. signed. You yeah. know, these, are, these are players who have been successful. But what, what stands out about Bruce is his ability to find talent in MLS and maximize that talent. And that that's just his identity as a general manager. Other GMs have different ways that they build rosters and to different varying degrees of success. But that's what we knew about that Galaxy team. They're, they were going to have stars and they were going to max, maximize their MLS talent. And we haven't seen that from the Galaxy in a while. And I asked Greg Manny, like, is this LA Galaxy team always going to be big name stars and then you figure out how to make everything else work? And he basically was like, yes, like the Galaxy wants their DP that's, model to be That's that. fine. It is you fine. can still build something sustainable that way. For sure. But I think that that's why I keep alluding to the fact that I look at the DPs and who are they signing and who is making the decisions. And if you don't have yeah. a clear process to sign these guys, but it's always a part of who you are, you're going to be in trouble. And we've seen that yeah. in the past years with Giovanni Dos Santos, with uh, so far Douglas Costa, and he's only been a little bit of time with I him. Mean, Kevin Cabral, Ke- Kevin Cabral. On a five-year contract. I mean, these are some problems that, you know, they're not alone in MLS and signing bad players. Like, they're not. But if that no, is everyone, a huge part everyone, of your identity. Everyone misses from time to time. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. It's, they miss more often uh, than most. Sam, let's lay it out. It's been a too many chefs in the kitchen issue in the, in the galaxy. There's not been clear right. mandates given to people enough. And, and that that ultimately, to me, comes down to Klein. Because he's the one that, if he's not making the decisions, he needs to empower someone to do so. And they need to come up with a clear vision together. And it doesn't seem like that has ever happened. And it's been repeated over the course of several regimes now. And so, all right, well, he's sort of the last guy standing. Um, And I think it's important, Paul, to go back to the fact that he was hired with very little experience. And... You know, I tweeted sort of about this last night and somebody pointed me in the direction of a podcast that Chris Klein went on a couple of years ago called The Wow Factor with Brad Formsma. Um, And on this podcast, you know, he was just kind of talking about his journey in relatively, relatively like um, straightforward fashion um, from his playing career to his business career and so on and so forth. And he told the story of basically how he got hired by the LA Galaxy. Um, He, of course, played for the LA Galaxy, and he was a part of MLS union leadership, maybe even the president, when they settled the CBA around the turn of of the 2010 decade. Um, And according to him on this podcast, they finished the CBA. A couple of days later, Tim Lewicki, who was running AAG and essentially was the, you know, wasn't the owner of the LA Galaxy, but he was Phil Anschutz. He was his representative for ownership. He called Chris Clyde and said, Chris, let's go get breakfast tomorrow. And Chris is like, I have no idea what this is going to be about. And they get to breakfast and Lywicki basically is like, so when do you think you're going to retire? And and that's an interesting question for a player to field <laughs> from his owner or owner 
proxy owner. Um, and, and Chris was like, well, I'm not really sure. And Liwiki said, I think it needs to be at the end of this year. And here's why. I think you're going to be a president of an MLS team one day. I want it to be the president of my MLS team, the LA Galaxy. And the sooner you get that process started, the better it will be for you and the better it will be for us. He ended up retiring at the end of that year. He was made a vice president of the LA Galaxy. He wasn't a vice, and this is what he said on the show. He wasn't a vice president of marketing or anything like that or, or sales or, or ticket sales or, or corporate partnerships or whatever. He was just a vice president. And basically he learned for a couple of years under the arm of the other LA Galaxy executives. And eventually he was elevated to president of the team. <laughs> and that's his whole career path. And that is, you know, it's apparently a path that AEG has followed with the Los Angeles Kings and Luke Robitaille and the NHL. Um, so it's not like this is the only time that this has happened with them. Um, it's happened many times, I'm sure, and many other businesses all around the world all of the time. Um, but that's a ridiculous way to hire somebody. I think this is sort of the epitome of what, you know, minority players and, and, and women uh, talk about when they talk about like old boys club and white guys kind of running the show. Um, that's not Chris Klein's fault. Um, but the point here is that he didn't exactly have much executive or leadership experience before he got this job. And I think we've seen that sort of manifest out over the last five, six, seven years since he's sort of taken over and been running the show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. You said it's a ridiculous way to hire someone. I think more specifically to hire someone to be the president of an organization. It's not like you know. Again, he didn't come in and do an entry level job and learn the business for a decade. And right. He came in as a VP and became the president. And yeah, when you told me the story today, earlier today, it it made me think of the roundtable we did with some of the leaders of the Black Players for Change, and specifically Earl Edwards Jr. talking about you know kind of looking around the locker room and realizing there were these other players. Um, usually white players who were already creating relationships in the front office and, and essentially networking to have a job right when they finished and they retired. And they were like, well, why don't I, you know, he was kind of like, I need to get on this or like, why, why do I feel like I don't have access to that same uh, pathway? Mm -hmm. um, that's what stood out to me about it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's clear through the fact that the Galaxy have missed the playoffs for the last five years that whatever's happening there isn't working. Um, the hope is that Vanny can turn it around and on the sporting side. And to do that, he needs to be empowered. He needs to be like, if you're going to do it, then name him sporting director. If that's, if that's the plan, if not, if it's Jovan, then name him the sporting director and, and yeah. let it be his plan. You know, I, I think, you know, I don't know whether Jovan Karofsky can be a good GM. You know, it hasn't happened yet. Like, I don't, I, I, I have like an opinion on it, but I don't know, but I do, yeah, I do know, know that, that the problem within that front office, according to years of interviews across different stories and different regimes is that there has never been a feeling that someone's in charge, at least not since Bruce left. And that, yep. that has caused problems in sustainable roster build in power struggles on the inside, in the way relationships have been handled the way people have been made to feel who have worked at the galaxy. And, and when you have that sort of culture and unrest internally, it's going to manifest into your product and their product is a soccer team and they've missed playoffs for the last five years. So, you know, yep. that to me is what has to change. Give somebody the keys, give them the mandate to build something sustainable. Yes. The galaxy need to win 
in the short term. But more importantly, they need to get on track so that they don't become what the Chicago Fire have become, what DC United has become, where they're mm-hmm. so far behind that what they're chasing isn't, you know, possible for multiple years. Like the Galaxy are not that far away in part because their owners are always willing to spend. And, yeah. and they live and they and they have the best market, one of the best markets for talent in the country. They live they're in Los Angeles. They can pull talent just like LAFC just did with Bale. And and, and by the way, that's another part of this. Their academy is not produced much of anything. Right. And Alfred I know Alvarez that is, is, is contributing for them and all of that. But like the fact that they haven't gotten more out of that is kind of shameful. It is. But they that is a huge focus for Vanny. And we've seen like his efforts in Toronto have paid off. Over, but that takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes a long it, it time. It does take time. But but they've had time. Yeah. No, Not no. Vanny. But but as an organization they have. For sure. But but I'm saying now that if they're really starting if Vanny's starting to push that, it's gonna take time. All I'm saying is they need to. There just needs to be a mandate, and it, the mandate needs to be more than just make the playoffs this year. It has to be like you are in charge. Put together a five-year plan. This is what we're doing to be what we were before, and they can be that. They're the galaxy. You talk about brands that still resonate. The galaxy still resonate. I did a story that was an mm-hmm. explainer of this Bale signing, partly because people didn't realize that LAFC was different than the galaxy. They thought Bale was signing with the same team as Beckham had signed with. The, people, people in Europe, in Europe, yeah, and the, the the galaxies still resonate, and that that's a huge advantage. So they're not they they don't have to be that far off. They can be good, and that's what got you angry last night, and that's why at the end of the day, Sam, I mean, we just need to get Chris Klein and Jovan Karofsky and Douglas Costa and Kevin Cabral and Sam Stasekul into a house, you know, oh and just start getting real. You know, we just need to start getting real. <laughs> this wasn't real enough for you. <laughs> um, I don't know if I want to be in that real world house. And and you know what? I think we need to be fair to Kevin Cabral and not subject him to that. It's not his fault. Okay. Um, anyway, Paul, this was a fun episode. I enjoyed this one. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it, listeners. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. We Maybe we'll come up with an MLS real world house for next week's show. I think that could be an interesting you know exercise. Everyone who, who's listening to this can send us their real world, their their ideal MLS real world house, and we know that is the real world even on anymore. No, I don't think it exists anymore. But Sam it hasn't been on for like a decade. Imagine <laughs> imagine a real world house in which New Who lives with basically anyone else in MLS. I mean, that's the house I want to be in. <laughs> I will say, once upon a time when I worked for Real Salt Lake. Um, I created a very stupid segment of videos that we would do and it was called the real world. So how about that? We'll peek behind the curtain. We did some really dumb stuff. It was kind of funny though. I thought it was funny. Which is all that matters. Guy that laughs at all of his own jokes thought it was funny. Um, With that, (laughs) I'm Sam laughing at my own joke again. He's Paul. Uh, This has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening.